friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 110. It is Monday, November 9th, 2020. What a crazy week it's been. Um, this week we have Height Keach, who is a rapper on Cold Rhymes Records out of Baltimore, Maryland. And I discovered Height Keach through Grand Buffet, which is a group I uh, was introduced to almost 20 years ago when they opened for Wesley Willis and then they toured with my homie Sage Francis and Soul and uh, I've been a fan of them for years and uh, Lord Grunge put out Height Keach's record called Winterize the Game years ago and so anyway I've been following his work and it was really cool to get to talk to him he's also friends with Michael Kill who was on the podcast so this is a very cool interview with an indie rapper who's been at it for years I want to thank the Patreon Larsons for making this podcast possible if you support at patreon.com slash mclars not only do you get all my Star Wars songs all my MCU songs you know, there's dozens and dozens of stuff on there you haven't heard, but you also get exclusive merch, uh, video, behind the scenes footage, essays, and I'm dropping my Revenge of the Sith song this week. So patreon.com slash mclars, and you get shouted out on the podcast. So shout out to the new ones, Keith and Loretta, David and Christopher, and shout out to the old ones, Amanda, Becky, and Guy. Thank you for signing up. I appreciate you. Let's check out this week's Letter to Atlas. This is from Parker. Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just checking in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Atlas, my name is Punk Samudgeon, and your dad is awesome. I love his music and have followed him for a really long time, and he's not just a good musician. He is an amazing person. He is so awesome to interact with as a fan and supportive of us as fans. And when I have asked him to help me talk about political causes when he's on tour in my town, he took the time to do that before his show and tell everyone about a rally we were having. And he had no reason to do that. Like, it's not like he had to. He's just an amazing person, and you're so very lucky to have him. And I really just, man, you should hear it from people about how awesome he is and your mom seems really cool too so the fact that he picked her tells me she's really cool Late. no parker you're really cool thanks buddy that was really sweet i remember you had me make an announcement about a rally you were doing in denver i think i was opening for mc chris and uh, yeah i mentioned it on stage and we were handing out flyers and that's what's up i'm always down to support good causes if you can explain why you know you feel passionate about something and you know there's always good work to be done. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for leaving that message. All right. So this is my interview with Height Keach. His new record is called Wild Height Keach. It came out in September and it's awesome. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. So for the past few years, this podcast has been every Monday, I'd put a new episode out. And with the pandemic, it's been a little hard to coordinate recording interviews with guests. Like the ones since the pandemic have all been kind of remote. So I explain to my guests, like I have a setup that I need them to do for me to sync it and yada, yada, yada. So until the pandemic lifts, we're going to be doing the podcast bi-weekly. 
So every other week. So that means the next episode is going to be November 23rd. So I just wanted y'all to know that. So like you don't look Monday like, yo, where's the podcast? It's going to come every other week. And then once the pandemic lifts and I'm able to actually sit down with my guests, with my setup and do it more efficiently, we'll be able to do that. But yeah, since it's hard to get in the room with people, it's impossible. We're going to be doing every other week. So this is my interview with Height Keach. Check out his new record, Wild Height Keach. Hello, friends. We are here with Height, an MC artist I've known about for like 14 years. Never had the honor of speaking with him, but I've been following his work for, I could say, over a decade and a half. And uh, he has a new record that just dropped that he gave me a preview of. And uh, it's been awesome, like listening to his old stuff, listening to his new stuff in preparation for this interview. So without further ado, give it up for Height. Woo! <laughs> thank you thank you we are connected because you know a lot of people i've worked with and vice versa which is kind of crazy we've never crossed paths yeah definitely i i feel like especially i was thinking about it last night having grand buffet be kind of like a big part of me starting it i, I feel very excited to uh be talking to a fellow grand buffet fan because <laughs> so, I, I don't have to explain that whole thing, you know what I mean? But yeah, I feel like we've run in very, very similar paths over the years, but never, never actually um, talked or anything like that. Grunge put out "Winterize the Game" on his label, right back in the day. Right, Grandman Records, yeah, <laughs> Grandman Records, <laughs> and and you were one of the on his short-lived podcast. You were one of his first guests. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So and so I yeah. So let's talk a little bit about it. Height like. How did you get started touring? Because I know you're like a road dog and you've been doing this for longer than I have on the road. Like, what's the story of how you linked with grunge and all that stuff? Okay, as far as touring and stuff like that, um, I, I had a group that started in high school called Wounds. And um, we put out one album and that's still like, uh, that's still it's on our labels band camp and everything still i I still like it even though it's like ancient but um we we did a tour one tour and that was like we had uh one guy in the group that was older that was he was also in a band called oxes and that was like a math metal type band so we um he kind of like showed me about touring and i and so we went on one tour and then I think I was like the only person that was like of the group that kind of saw a future in that. I, I was like, this is great. And everybody else was kind of like, I don't know. Um, uh, so, um, and I got a chance and, and that's where, that's where we met Grand Buffet, for example. And um, I, I got, invited to to tour as a solo act for on a few other tours and then um through grand buffet we were kind of like we did our first big tour together and we, we were kind of like let's let's all hit, you know hit the road and that would have been what like early 2000s late 90s yeah um i get i guess the my my group we did a little tour in like 
98, I guess. But, and the, but then our first, like, yeah, it was like the summer of 2000 was our only, like, quote-unquote proper tour, I guess. Wow. And then um, they took you, so you did a run with Grand Buffet before they linked with Wesley Willis and, like, before Sage Francis, and right? Yeah, and th- there's also a group um, I have to shout out, um, which I, I think listening to some of this podcast and stuff, I think I think you might really like them. There's a group called Dog and Pony that, um, and and one of the guys went on to do a thing called Bar, like B A R R. That was like spoken word type thing, but like they um, they were amazing. They were like a avant garde comedy rap group, I guess. Like D- Dog and Pony. Yeah, it's like D O G G N Pony. Okay, and um, like I like I was a fan like super early in high school. They had this they had this tape because they they had lived in Baltimore for a little while, and like they had a tape that was just the craziest shit. They they had a thing of like there can be no rhymes throughout <laughs> the whole album, like <laughs> like no words can rhyme, and right. like. I remember they had one song where it was just a DJ like quick mixing um uh t- take five, the like Dave Brubeck. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like in the crazy time signature and there's no rhymes. And and like um and they invited me on tour as well. And that was like a huge that was a huge thing for me. And and they, they also put out my first record. Like they had a label at the time and stuff like that. Oh wow. And what was that record called? That is just called Height. That's like the, it's just like the green one that's, it just has like an H on the cover. And that's the one that, yeah, I think I I bought that on Bandcamp years ago because isn't, isn't, aren't Grand Buffet on one of those songs or one of the guys is? Yeah. Yeah. There's a song called uh, String Game that they were, that they got on. String Game. Yeah. Like it's kind of cool, man. Cause it's kind of like how. I like when you know I'm a big ICP fan. All the artists they worked with, I always was like checking them out. And so Grand Buffet was this interesting moment. Like I've discovered Soul through them, and like a lot of other stuff because it hit so many of the things that I liked and people that yeah. they worked with. Like yourself, I always was like I found that like whoever they would they would work with, they had good taste and they were kind of selective about it. Um, but a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, like might not know them because they don't have a, they don't really have a presence on Spotify. There's not a ton of YouTube stuff, but their Bandcamp page has everything. But just in in summation, um, and then we'll move on from talking about them. How would you describe them to someone who's never heard of them to like make sense if you can? You know, actually, one of the first um, times I ever did a show with them, um, it was it was at a bar called Eight by Ten in Baltimore which I think maybe still exists, but like um, my friend Zach described them as like one of the greatest like Simpsons episodes (laughs) as in like, it's one of the coolest things that's like ever happened. But then also it's cool for like dum-dums too. Like, like if you just want to see Bart, it's like there's Bart. So it's like, like it kind of hits I, I always felt that was like a a crazy part of like their live show is like it's just like 
the smartest people are all down, but then also it just like rocks everybody as like music and you, you know entertainment. If if that does that make any sense? Totally. And that um, the Simpsons had their had their moment, right? It's like Grand Buffet. What I really respect about them, and I'm kind of like in awe about, is how when it wasn't fun and when it, they weren't like building, they were both like, all right, well, we're going to do our own thing and we'll do this when, and if it's fun, but we're not going to grind on the road as much as we did. And like, that is to me, that is so dope because it's like a painter burning their masterpiece or something, right? Mm. Like let's keep it moving. Like we got other things to do. And um, that, I, I don't know, to me, that's just super cool. When artists drop the mic, when they're, when they're, they don't want to do it the same level. You know what I mean? That's really interesting because I, I, at the time, I felt very differently. Like I felt um, like touring with them in some of their later years where they were like sort of like, yeah, we're not really seeing a, a path forward. I, I felt really sad and I felt like, no, this is all wrong. You got to like keep going. But like, but yeah, every, I mean, everybody has their own set of reasons why they would, you know, be wanting to do it or not do it and, and like... Yeah, it's like it. It does. I feel like that does make sense. I feel like you you offer some perspective. Dropping the mic. I mean, it's like an interesting thing, man. Because it's like as an artist now, I'm sure you can relate to this. You really have to put so much of your energy into the al- figure out the algorithms. Being on social media, like we linked through Twitter, which was cool because I like I'm I'm always curious about what you're posting. But like that's a cool way to network and build. But also. The internet can be exhausting, and I feel like, in a way, they had this punk rock mind state of being like, "Well, you know, that's corporate controlled. We we have this stuff that exists outside of that, and we're not going to like spend all our time trying to go viral or or figure out the algorithms." And that's like a I don't know. It's 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 a different perspective to what like the millennials and younger artists are doing. You know, with trying to be constantly putting out content trying to you know just hack all the algorithms which in a way doesn't feel artistic sometimes i wonder if you could speak on that well you know i i've i've had a realization recently um you know it's funny like listening to like like i was telling you earlier I, i got to listen to a bunch of episodes of this podcast uh in preparation and they were great and um the you know one thing I sort of got a sense that like a lot a lot of these artists um have sort of had like high highs and low lows like like it's kind of like I mean I'm sure it's that way for everybody but like there's times where more people are paying attention times when less people are paying attention and people take different approaches to to doing that you know like like it seems like now there's like Patreon and and all these things and and it's like there's all this hustling you can do, but I think, I think a mistake that I've made in my time is trying to like hustle my way into people liking what I do. If that makes any sense, I totally relate. Yeah, I don't know, but I think you're doing it right because I I think it's like I think you you've found an audience. And, and now you're like, how do I interact with them and keep them engaged and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that? And I feel like with me, like, like I was thinking about it the other day, like I've done various podcasts and stuff since like 
early 2000s, I guess, or, or 2005 or so, something like that. But like, I guess I feel like you can't podcast your way into having fans, but but I feel like you can entertain your fans with a podcast, if, I, I think. Does yeah, that make sense? It does. And then there are those rare people like Mark Marin or, or Joe Rogan where like their podcast becomes so iconic and kind of transcends them as a performer and as a writer. And maybe oh, as yeah. comedians, it's different than you and I as rapper producers. Like it's a different thing, but it's interesting, man, because like listening to your podcasts, I feel like I get a really, I've kind of get an, an insight into you as a person. And then listening to your stuff with shark tank and your solo stuff. It's like, Oh, it's like, you're right. It doesn't get new fans, but it, fans who already are feeling you kind of like be like, oh, I understand this person. I, I let this long form content wash over me because I'm sick of all the little binary data bites that are flying at my face. I want something that like immerses me into the person's reality. And so totally, you know what I'm saying? So that's cool. You were an early adopter of the format. Like that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that was just because um, it was like, it was some some of our friends in Pittsburgh started the company Lipson, which yeah. like was the early host and still is, I think, for a lot of podcasts. But but yeah, it was one of these dumb things where like they were like they were like, What would you think about doing a podcast? And then I just started doing it that day, having never heard the word podcast yeah. before and it's like i don't know i think i think some of that stuff was a mistake on my end of just being like i mean i think it's good to be ambitious and be like try to stay on top of things but um i, th I think it can be what i've tried to do in recent years more is try to lead with the music you know right e even if that feels like like uh I mean, there just are less people that want to hear music in general, but, but so what, you, you know what I mean? Well, and I, I remember grunge had was on the Libsyn and he did an episode with, um, Dave Mansueto, yeah. Mansueto. And now I thought that was a cool, that was a cool interview. And like, that was like, okay, if you were on, if you knew people on the forefront of these technologies 15 years ago, you might jump into it. And then somehow you become like a tastemaker and then it becomes part of your story where like you are, oh, this is something I've done forever. Like, that's what I hear when I talk to people about you and stuff. Like, for example, Michael Keel was like, yeah, he's been doing podcasts forever. I'm like, that is an interesting thing because a lot of people, number one, don't have the patience to do that. And number two, weren't early adopters. And so, I don't know, man. I think it's like, there's no one, my point is there's no one right way to do things, right? Definitely not. Definitely not. But leading with the music is always smart. And that's what I've been coming home to this year. And like, I wanted to talk to you about your new record because every morning when I go jogging, I was listening to the New York Times daily podcast. But when you sent me the pre-release, I put that on instead. And instead of hearing the, all this freaking horrible news, it just put me in a really good mood, man. And it was like, oh, awesome. it's, it's so good. And it's so, um, it, it reminds me of like, it reminds me of my favorite Buck 65 stuff. It reminds me of like, uh, ideas Oliver Hart record and I love the 60s timeless style and it's so cool to me to think like we're at a point where like independent artists can find their own lane do something that's outside of the mainstream like you and also tell a story that's musically interesting so I went through and I like come up, came up with a few questions about each track but my first question for you man is so do you produce your own beats too yeah yeah um, I'd say maybe the last 
like five albums. Uh, I feel like I I didn't at first, and then um, I I would say I just like over the last uh, twelve years or something, just gradually started doing more of the production stuff myself. So back in the day, so like for instance, the um, string the string game album um, height. That you didn't you didn't produce those beats necessarily? Not at all. That um that was the main guy was a guy called Shields. Um and then there and then it's everybody from that group I was talking about earlier, Wounds. Uh, um uh, so so there's also Bow and Arrow, Jones, and Kiddick. Do you there's samples on this. We're not going to get into samples. Do you, do you trip on like whether the algorithms are going to find it or do you just keep it moving? I do. Um uh, I definitely do, and I I guess I guess real recently though I've started to think like how big of a deal could it be? Like I I don't know I I, I do worry about it when I produce for other people because because it's like you're sort of just handing them a problem if if they you know if the song ever gets like a licensing deal or anything like that, but. I, I don't know. I, I've realized, like, I don't really care. Like, like I don't think people are that worried about these like Bandcamp releases having samples, and it does it does mess stuff up if you want to do licensing and stuff. But I, I don't know. I've never even really had too many opportunities with that. And and the one time ever that I was involved with at all with clearing a sample, it actually was totally fine. <laughs> Do you ever clear samples? I don't know if you wanted to get into this. That's a good question. I, you know, I, I every Thursday I th- I post uh, an old video and talk about it, and this podcast will air later. But I I have a song where I sample Iggy Pop, and yeah. I, I ha- yeah, and I had to, it was expensive. It was seven grand to clear the sample. Okay, and it was and but it was a really cool sample, and I think the song it worked well. But yeah. it was lo- paying lawyers and all this. It was expensive, man. I didn't. I didn't expect it to be that much. Had I known, I wouldn't have done it. Um, mm. But I. I tried to. There was one example. Um, I sampled. Do you know the show Trailer Park Boys? Have you heard of it? Yeah. So I sampled. I have a song about. Actually, it's with Jesse Dangerously, where it's um, about the cop Randy and Jim Leahy and about their relationship. And I sampled from the show. And that got flagged and the album got taken down. And now there's this permanent hold on my tune core where if I take out more than, if I don't leave $50, it, it rejects me taking money out because that money apparently is supposed to go to the sample. They took it down. It was like a nightmare, man. And I was traveling. So I, yeah. like, so my point is movies and show samples seem to be more problematic than like if you take like a 60s groove, you know what I mean? Because the, the computers find that stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's so weird because that's been my theory and my Shark Tank bandmates all disagree with me. <laughs> About movie samples? Yeah, like we've had some movie samples and, and I've always, I, I'm, you're confirming my theory that, that it's more dangerous for like the algorithm. I used to think if you got caught with a sample, you'd be banned from these platforms. But because we're making these companies so much money, and we're not seeing much. They, I don't think they would ban us because then it would mean less profit, and they just keep it moving. You know, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, and, and like, yeah. What's I, I? I don't know. Like, like there, there was one um, sample we had to clear. Ah, why am I drawing a blank on the name? Oh, um, the the band Magma, the um, 
the French like Prague band. And was that they, Shark Tank? Yeah. Yeah. And they were a hundred percent cool with it and just um like like we had help from a publishing guy and he was like, This went as good as it could possibly go and they were just down. And it's like and that was like clearing it after the fact. That was that was like we already put it out and they could just tell us, you know, to Did someone flag it or how did it happen? It it was like um we it was weird. It was, it, it was like we had this song it was the bonus track from our second album, but it went gold in Canada. It was, <laughs> it was like Out for a Rip. Yes, Out for a Rip. Oh, that had a sample? Yes. Ooh, and, and Grunge produced that song, right? Yeah. And yeah. oh, Grunge and um, Mickey Free. Okay. And um, that was like it was. It was. It's always fucked up to try to figure this shit out after, you know. But I think that's kind of makes sense to be like, okay, if this, if this gets attention, then we figure out what to do. But but basically, we had to sign like a one. We signed a one song publishing deal to like get some licensing shit going just with that song. And so then was it an advance or did they get a back end? If you can speak about it, I'm curious. Um I to be honest, I can't even remember how it went down. Yeah. But um Oh, oh, uh, it was a it was a percentage. Like like they they were just like we were like what's up with maybe this percentage and they were like fine. Like for all I know they maybe they have like 20 different songs that sample i mean they definitely have that kind of catalog you know that's what's up and that's free money for them so why yeah. not <laughs> that's it's funny man because my so my drummer is always finding weird stuff on the internet and he sent me out for a rip and i was like wait i know shark tank i'm like yo this is the bonus track from fun youngs like i i knew the song and he sent <laughs> right, me the right. video it's so weird how like you know when other people in your circle introduce you to things and it all circles back like that must have been interesting when that happened because Shark Tank, it seems like that started as kind of just like a fun side project, right? And right. to have this huge the eight million plays on one song on Spotify, it's crazy, right? And the and the song was like it was like a side project of a side project because <laughs> it's like right. the the secret bonus track on your <laughs> side project, and like yeah, that that was one of the strangest chapters of my life, honestly, um, because like. You know, I I did. Um, I, I I think grunge felt a little bit like. You know, he felt like that's cool that this novelty song is popping off, but he wasn't like amped about like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to get back on the road and you know behind this novelty song, and and like so like like be rich from Shark Tank. He kind of popped off his own touring career and I, and I went with him for a lot of that stuff and that that was definitely oh cool that was cool it was really cool to do like a tour where you can play like every weird town in Canada and <laughs> people come it, it was really fun so was it, you played the Canadian tour with them yeah yeah did you go out as be rich or did you go out as shark tank or be rich and hike keach like how was it billed it was just billed as be rich and I would okay. just like be there kicking a few rhymes and stuff. You know, I wonder if you can re- relate to this, man. And we'll get back to talking about your record. The reason why 
I feel like we're similar in that, like we both toured with a lot of different people as a solo act, as support, as whatever. People tell me that they like to bring me on tour because I'm easy to get along with and I bring like a positive vibe. And I think that is so important because like you get put in all these weird situations, like for me, like with different bands, different rappers, and you have to learn when to be quiet, when to be nice, when to be helpful. And that sometimes becomes more of an asset than like how good you are at rapping or whatever, like how cool you are in weird situations. Do you ever feel that? Oh, I totally, totally agree. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I forget what, like, I guess, I guess I've just been doing the tour thing so long that I'm like, yeah, this is what you do. But like, sometimes I forget that there's a wide variety of ways that people can be on tour and, and people can be very not cool. And it's like, and you you forget that that's an asset that you have, but but it is, you know. It's good, to, and I guess if you're you want to be humble about, it, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm the nicest, easiest person on tour. You can't <laughs> think like that. Just you just got to be showing up and be helpful. And you know, always during the pandemic, it's like, and also the fact that we just had a kid. I won't be touring till next year, and I miss that novelty of being in new places and traveling. And I'm wondering, like for you, like having a new record out. Are you having to think how to promote it in different ways than touring, or have you been like how's that been for you? Well, it's been very interesting um just having to like wipe every show off the calendar like mm. and there weren't a lot for me this year because I was trying to have a a slim year in that regard, but it's funny like like at the beginning of this year, I told myself like i'm not I'm not doing a lot of shows this year. And I feel like I had already fucked that up by like early February. Like I just said yes to all these things I didn't really want to do. And so it's like, damn, I already committed to like drive and play this show in West Virginia, whatever. And, and like having just everything be canceled, I, I, I can't lie. I kind of liked it. (laughs) And like, (laughs) and like it made me, it made me realize like, like I have to get better at saying, no, you know, because it's it's so easy to say yes to something you don't want to do and then make up a reason that you want to do it. Like be yeah. like, oh, well, this will give me a chance to run through this new song or whatever. But like, I, I don't know. It's made me looking forward. It's made me be like wanting to be way more intentional with what I do or don't do, you know? I think it's making us all sharper and it's making us like realize why we do it going back to what you're saying how the music is what should lead and i think yeah man like that you can get into a pattern where and i know a lot of people listen to this podcast are like indie artists indie creators where you just get used to it and you're like this is how things are done and the past month i took a break from social media and it was like so cool because i was like oh this is what i like about these technologies this is what I don't like about giving up my brain and my time. And this is when I do go on tour, I'm going to make sure I'm really ready. I'm doing something different and I appreciate it, you know? And so, yeah, yeah it's like restarting all of our computers in a way, this pandemic. I, I definitely think so. And and I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's fucked up because so many venues are, are closing forever, you know? And, yeah. and that's hor- horrible. But like... I do I do wonder if when 
when there's touring again, the negotiations between like the bands and and venues and everything will be a little different. Like, like this might sound messed up, but like I just wonder if some of these venues that are trying to keep things going without shows are realizing how much they need shows. <laughs> okay. In a way they haven't yeah. before. Like, like, you know, I see these venues that are like, Hey, we're still selling pizza out on the curb or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, even the worst show there, there, you know, even the worst show makes money sometimes for these, yeah. for these venues, you know? And it's like, totally. I, I don't know. I wonder, I, I've, that's just a thought I've had. Like, I wonder if these touring acts, and and local acts as well might come come at it with a little more um, demand or something when they when they come back. Peter was saying this. Um, Peter Ghostin was saying that you know a lot of people are going to stop, like venues are going to close, but like people who are who are who just got into the music business or recent people who have been having like trending momentum might stop, and there will be this whole like snow globe shaking up where not all artists want to continue. So the artists that do want to, you say maybe the venues will see more value in in them coming. Is that kind of what you mean too? I think so. Yeah, like like I and I and I think I I don't know. I just think there's a lot of things where just having no shows, it's like. Here's another example my, that my friend Justin brought up. Um, like, you know, there's been like discussion of like within indie rock and and indie hip hop and stuff of like, you know, they, I feel like they've had their own like Me Too moments and stuff. And, and like, yeah, yeah. Like he he was saying like he thinks when things come back people should feel a little more comfortable like wanting things to be the way that they are like that they want them to be like um i don't know he was just saying like these shows where it's just like all men all the time and men kind of making every decision and all men on the bill blah 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 like I don't know. We might come into it with a little bit of a different awareness now of like, of like, well, everybody, there was no shows and everybody lived. So, (laughs) you know, like it, it might, it might not be as crazy as it seems to alter things a little bit to like diversify. You you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I do know what you're saying. So like the way there was like this hegemonic way of doing things, has being shaken up and now like people, people of a certain, s- certain gender, whatever, don't need to hog the spotlight like we have been. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Um, on your album. So the track, the boy, this is a really cool, evocative introduction. And what's the story about that, that, that little sample, unless you don't want to give away your, your secrets. <laughs> well, damn man. I eat. <sighs> I just contradicted myself because that is from a, a documentary. Okay. Um, you could tell me what it's about without citing it if you don't want. Yeah, yeah. It's about an artist that um, that inspired me a lot, particularly during the quarantine. Um, I won't say who it is because there's only one documentary about it. Yeah. But um, um, 
it, it, it was just a documentary about an uncompromising artist. And it made me realize that, you know, we all try to be uncompromising, but it inspired me to remember there's, there's always levels to being uncompromising, if, if that makes sense. And, yeah. and, and to just like, you know, you know, we're all comfortable in what we do when we feel good about it and stuff, but, but there's always like, there's always a way to like, to like push for another level of that. If that, if that makes sense. One of the themes I got is that it's like you're a lot of the themes are like longing to be in these open Western spaces with the titles, longing to come home, longing to explore. And I wonder if you have this nostalgia for being on the road and early touring years or what it's about. Cause that was like one of, one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause like I said, like, I definitely came into this year like not wanting to tour anyway. And and like like some of those words about just like missing all that stuff, it's like it was just like honesty. You know what I mean? Like I was trying to not see it that way. I was trying to be yeah. like, Well, I'm here and I'm doing this. But but like I don't know. I I, I don't know. Do you have like wanderlust and stuff? I, I would imagine you probably do. Yeah, I mean, I miss, you know, I something I miss is driving, like, I love driving through the rural parts of Northern California, like, whether I'm on tour or just for fun, the, the, yeah. the lakes, the rivers, like, the beauty of the West, like, right now we're on the East Coast and it's all good, but uh, I miss that, I miss the travel, and being a dad, a new dad, it's like, you know, I got this little guy we're taking care of, so I, I do dream about it, and I do miss that and that's i guess i figure why i've been doing this so long so maybe we both relate on that i i think so yeah i mean i really um yeah it'll even be like i'm just watching a movie or something and there's like the desert or like like a road or something i'm like i just get this feeling of like ah like i like i have to be moving around and be out there or something you know um and yeah look what is the uh northern lights lounge is what made me think of that that idea, like being in this beautiful faraway place. I don't know. It's just you, you're able to. Uh, what I like about your lyrics is that my stuff is so reference heavy and and concrete. This this this. Your stuff is poetic and evocative in a way that you get the vibe without you don't hit your audience over the head with these messages. It kind of is more of like an impressionist painting. I feel like, and that song stood out for me. Baltimore backsteps too like that like about coming home but also wanting to be away you know yeah 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 oh man i I really appreciate you you saying that it's like i feel like you never know like like um i mean it's interesting because i'm sure you have some similar things like say like on on tour or something there's always a desire like if you're playing for a group of people that have never heard you before you don't want to be too like obtuse or like mysterious or something like, like, cause people aren't going to, I mean, people can barely hear the words half the time anyway. Right. So you don't <laughs> want to be like, if you can hear them, they're all like crazy or something. But like, so like, I, I don't know. I always feel like it's, it's like a balancing act because it's like, it's like, I'm glad you said that like impressionistic because that's like, yeah, it's like people, hopefully you can be, kind of a little more abstract without people like having to like 
look at all your words with a fine-tooth comb to know what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, man. And it's also interesting how something that I think serves this album well is it's very new school in that your songs aren't that long, man. Like a lot of them, most of them are under two minutes. And yeah, that's cool because then you can like have these brush strokes that kind of drive drive things forward instead of like you know some of the if you listen to like some of the old Def Juck stuff like where they're like just rhyming like obtusely and the song's like six minutes the old Anticon stuff it's cool yeah. but it's like also like a little exhausting <laughs> right I mean? right right <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've always been a fav- in favor of short songs and I, I don't know I, I've always felt like so many of my favorite eras of rap that's the thing that I don't like like I'll go back and listen to like my favorite shit, and I'll be like, "Why is this like six minutes long?" You know? Do you ever find that like you go? It's so jarring. You listen to a song before 2011. You're always like, "Wait, there's a third verse, right?" Because yeah, yeah. Fools don't do more than a verse sometimes now or two. I'm always like, "Yo, this must be from yep 2010." It was like this change when <laughs> when everything changed around them, right? I, you know, I, I remember reading. Um, do you ever read these? Uh, Chuck D. Terror Dome blogs. No, where it's just I should check that out. I, I don't know if he's still doing them, but it's like okay. he, it was just him going off on the Public Enemy site about you know the state of music and and hip hop and stuff. And and he was real big on like no more third verses, like <laughs> like um, and and that made me think. Well, you can have a third, but like change the beat up or do you know do something to like. I don't know because I feel like it's kind of like there's a verse and then there's the hook and then it's back to the verse. That's a good feeling of like B back to A and then B. Right. But then it's like, do we need to do it again? You know? Yeah, and then like, um, well, or but you have the really cool posse track. Is it World World Wind? Right? Yeah. And you have a bunch of guests, but they they do short little verses. I thought that was kind of yeah. cool. The whole thing is three minutes. I like the guy, and it sounds modern because you have the guy who talks about hydroxychloroquine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like ah, oh, t- topical. Who's who is that MC? Because they stood out for me. That's Goldzilla from Detroit. Okay. Um, yeah, he he was in a group um, called Barter Boys, which is incredible um, out of Detroit with a guy called Doc Waffles, who I also love his <laughs> style a whole lot. Um, I, have you played in Detroit a lot? Yeah, I played, you know, I, I opened for a lot of bands there, but they're always, yeah, I, I go there probably every few years. But, you know, we usually play Ann Arbor, to be honest. We play the Blind Pit. Oh, yeah, yeah. How about you? I, I mean, that's always been one of my favorite places. And that's where, like, I feel like a lot of people that, um, I, I mean, Mr., who I do the Cole Rhymes uh, records with he, he's in Detroit and and that's always he's been a l- collaborator for a long time and mm. um, there's always been a lot of people from Detroit that that I've I've worked with you know I've always felt it was like a hotbed of tight stuff. I have one more one more question about your album that I want to sure. talk about Baltimore. Um, I love I think that the last song um, this brutal world is the only world there is. It's really beautiful song i'd never heard that where like you sample something and then you did you write a new melody or did she or how did that come about i mean i i wrote it as a melody where it's crazy i wrote it and sang it and like um a few friends of mine were like yeah you can't put that on the album (laughs) like like i'm not a great singer and um i thought it was like okay but i was like let me see what's up with 
getting someone that can really sing on here. And yeah. and then she came up with like all the harmony. She re-sang it and then sang all these harmonies and everything. Okay, so I wanted to talk, Height, about Baltimore. It's a city I love to play. I always play. We play the, um, what's it called? The Metro Gallery. Oh, yeah. We hit that venue up pr- pretty much every year. And always they always have a lot of love for us. What's it like living there? And what's the scene like? I absolutely love Baltimore as far as music. Um, I I always feel like, you know, through the ages, it always has a tight version of whatever music there is. You know, I mean, that you would expect to have like on the East Coast. Uh, like, it's not like they got this like Tex-Mex music going or anything. But like, the, the, there's like a ton of uh, Baltimore club stuff. Are, are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. Yeah, That that's that's like a big inspiration. I, I, I'd say maybe not as much now. It's kind of died off, but that was a big inspiration for like almost anyone that made music here. And, and there's always been like a really strong um, like noise and post-punk kind of scene too. And, and like, and like avant-garde, free jazz kind of scene. There's just always been a whole lot of stuff going on, you know? So Balt- so let's talk about what are some of the difference between Baltimore, the Baltimore club stuff and like the Miami bass? Because in my mind, they're kind of conflated. They're similar, right? Mm. Well, I-, I-, I had a friend that described it to me like the, the production style of Baltimore club is... Um, it has a feeling of you listening to it and you're like, of course that's not how you do it. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like everything is really, really raw and it's like stuff will like not even be like looped up. Right. And like, like everything's like chopped off and it's just like, you, you know, I, I've always wanted to learn so much more about how they, how they, they make those beats. Cause, cause I mean, I know some of the breaks and stuff, but I, I don't know like what are the common or back then like what were the common samplers? It, yeah, there's like there's like certain breaks they use again and again, like the think break and stuff that they they give it that sound. And then there's like certain auxiliary sounds that you'll hear again and again, and and it's it's really warm and soulful and like. There's a song that I feel like is maybe the greatest Baltimore Club song um, called Dance My Pain Away, which is like, okay. I feel like it's like, they they write like song songs, I think. It's not like just dance music songs or something. Is the Peaches thing like a rep, the F the Pain Away, is that a reference to that or did that come out after? You know that Peaches song? Yeah. Oh, I never thought about that. I'm not really sure. Okay. Um and a lot of what is the Wham City, like that's the Dan Deacon's crew, right? Yeah. And that's kind of more experimental. That's not like club stuff, right? Right. That well, it's interesting. All of those people, they all started in like around New York. Like, right. like it was like this this um exodus of like forty people from um uh from like purchase college in, like right outside of New York to, to Baltimore and um 
like the and there's so many talented people came here all at once because of that um i i, f- I feel like interesting i feel like my man um mickey free who i mentioned earlier he he should get acknowledged as like playing a role in that like i feel like he like he went to school up there for a while and he kind of convinced them all like like it would be a lot easier to move here than move to new york or something like that and suny purchase is from listening to the podcast where grand buffet had opened for wesley on a dan deacon show and where wesley's manager or whatever saw them yeah. right like going back to that moment in music yeah dan was was having all kinds of shows and bringing bringing me and mickey there and grand buffet that's so cool do you know um sex have you worked with him or have you done shows with him yeah it's it's wild man i i've i've known him since i was like 13 or 14 like that's awesome he he was in a band called the idea men that um they were like I, I don't know. It, it's it's so weird. The the word emo, it's meant a thousand different things. But I feel like what it meant at that time was like... Um, More post-hardcore? Yeah, yeah. Those like DC kind of bands. Um, yeah. I can't think of... The, the, I feel... Uh, Rites of Spring is like... Yeah. The, it was more like or that. Or Fugazi, Fugazi kind of had that proto-emo vibe, the post-punk. Yeah. yeah, he was in a band like that. And I felt like he just like looked like an adult when he was like 13 so and he was just in a band with adults so i just thought he was older but he, but like he was a kid my age and and he did that and then he uh did a band a band called day of man as man and then he started putting out more of his electronic stuff and um yeah we we've worked together a lot like early on um uh, there, there's an album which I think he hates and has like hidden from the world, <laughs> but but um, he did an album called Tall, Dark, and Handcuffed. Yeah, and, I love that and, album. Oh, tight. Yeah, and I, I, I'm on there a couple times. Ooh, whoa, 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 whoa! That record is so cool because it's it's so proto in my genre, like proto nerdcore in a way. It's yeah. Okay, so you're on that record, and I'm very familiar with the record. So that maybe was where I heard you. You're on that K through Twelve Days of Hell. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, wow. That's a great record. That's awesome. That's what's up, man. So you were, <laughs> so it's so funny, like going back to that thing about um, Shark Tank, but it's all these connections and everything you get. You, It's always fun to find these connections. Yeah. Yeah. And, and R- Ryan was somebody that was like, I think about this now. He was organized and on top of shit in a way back then that I'm still trying to kind of get now. <laughs> like, like it, it's, it's weird to think about, like, like he was somebody that was so young. That was like, I remember like Rolling Stone did a write up on that album and stuff like that. And like, wow. and like, it's just weird to see like somebody that's like barely out of high school and is like, getting shit done and like hustling, you know, like maybe it's not as weird now, but like at the time it seemed so crazy to me. And like, I feel like I was barely, I could barely keep up. You know what I mean? Well, and that dude had, um, 
a skill set that really resonated with that time because in a way he's come up on this podcast before he predated Lil Peep in that it was like singing, but rapping like the skinny little, you know, the skinny, like very creative guy merging all these genres, doing something for all the different like indie heads of that era. But really I felt like what was brilliant about him was maximizing the diverse album release with different deals with different labels. And so like if once you got into him, you're like, Oh, he's got this, he's got this, he's got this. But when you look at a SoundCloud playlist or a Spotify playlist, it's a bit overwhelming now, but back then that was like a, having a lot of different projects was like a really cool way to build your brand. Now I feel like it can be distracting and maybe it's maybe helpful, but like, I don't know. He for that era, the way he was doing it was like brilliant. If that makes sense, doing different projects. Yeah, I remember like driving up to play a show with him in Philly and the whole time he's just talking about like, okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And then like we get to the show and there's like this Philly label, like people from this Philly label come up to him and give him a box of CDs for this other album he just finished that he hadn't even mentioned or something, which I don't know. I thought that was like really cool. Um, and now he he told me I've been trying to get him on the podcast, but he said he works at the school where Tupac went to. Oh, okay, he, yeah. He does. He's like a, a a theater or music or art teacher there. Yeah, yeah. Baltimore School for the Arts. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. That's what's up. Um, so okay, so we are we've gone for quite a while, and um, you've answered all my questions. And I wanted to. I think it would be cool height to end with um this brutal world is like a outro if you don't mind oh sure yeah um wh- i want also you to plug your podcast and all your social media and just give you the rest of the episode and anything that's on your mind we haven't talked about because i've been talking a lot so i want to pass it to you to plug whatever you want all right so i would suggest everybody check out heightkeach.com check out coldrhymesrecords.com and we do have a Cold Rhymes Records podcast um, on our SoundCloud page and, and everywhere else, too. So um, if people want to check it, check that out. It's called This Cold Rhymes Podcast. And um, yeah, man, thank you so much for letting me get on. It was an honor, man. You're great. You're a great uh, interviewee. And um, oh, <laughs> I was going to say that. So the album is out and it's the, the new record is called... Um, Wild Height Keach, and uh, I got it from Bandcamp, but I saw it's on Spotify and everything. So yeah, support my man because he's doing a lot. And you'll be, you're gonna y'all if some of you are new to this artist, he has a lot, a lot of stuff. So there's between the podcast and all his music, it's 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 fun. It's like a treasure trove of um, really good, timeless, fun stuff. And so yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad to have you on, man, because you. You span the different scenes, different genres. We know a lot of the same people. And it's like something for years. I was, when I started this, I was like, I want to get height on one day. And we made it happen. So this is tight. Man, it was my pleasure, man. Thank you. Cherie, Cherie, you're dead and gone. I thought I heard you in the evening banging on But that's just something that I got myself to think Radiators clang and hiss, the moon is overgrown and pink Ten million memories, now never spoke 
Ten million visions drift away into the smoke There's one reality, and here it goes again Coming down off every mountain Crawling out from glen to glen This blue world is the only world that is Blue deserts, blue mountain, blue sea This blue world is the only world that is But we can make it in the world it's gotta be Hey kid, walk straight Fly by, time fades away, they'll have you run until you die. You tried to do everything they said to do. Now it all seems kinda useless from this modern point of view. This corny kind of world where we're all stuck. Your blood's a battery for those with all the luck. Maybe someday soon we'll turn this car around But someday's not today, let's watch the walls come tumbling down This blue world is the only world that is Blue deserts, blue mountains, blue sea This blue world is the only world that is But we can make it and the world is gonna be Thank you for being on the show, Hi Keach. In two weeks, uh, we're going to have my man Theosin, Brad, who is from upstate New York. He produced all the vocals on the Dewey Decibel system. He's also a rapper, and he has his master's in engineering, electrical engineering, I think, from Rochester Institute of Technology. So really interesting guy, good guy, good, cool dude, a close friend. He's going to be on uh, the week of Thanksgiving. That is November 23rd. So we're doing every other week until the pandemic lifts and I can actually be in the studio with my guests. Um, until then we'll be doing these remotely bi-weekly star Wars song dropping this Friday. Check out revenge of the Sith, my revenge of the Sith rap. I appreciate y'all and uh, good job, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That was tight. I know maybe some of you didn't vote for Joe Biden and if that's the case. It's okay. But you know, now it's time for us to heal, and uh, truth and science are tight. So holler. Let's bring them back. Okay, thanks, everyone. Peace.